to you wrestle with dreams? Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Move in a kind of sleep. Time has slipped away. Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You tarried with trifles. Victim of your folly. To Gom Jabber with the Mua Dweebs, we are three dweebs who can't get our act together, and this is week something of our podcast. We are reading, rereading Dune a few chapters at a time, sometimes three, uh, sometimes one, sometimes half if you're Josh, <laughs> and we do a thorough but flippant rundown of what happened with all of our various perspectives. My name is Lily. I... Don't remember most of the book, but I am a fervent, fervent fan of the brilliant cinematic classic, David Lynch's Dune, and I'm loving reading this book. Who are my other dweebs? I'm Josh Stevens, and I I don't know who I am anymore. I've, I've moved. I'm in a new location, um, two doors down from where I was before, uh, but I had to make that move with no space bags, and that was very sad for me. Um I guess the only thing you need to know is that I'm the gurney of our little... I was going to say, you're our gurney Hallett. Yeah. And uh, And I didn't do any singing in the last two weeks because I was a little bit too preoccupied with things happening in in the world. So it's been uh, been an interesting couple weeks. Sure has. How about hearing from our resident... Frank Herbert and Duke Leto apologist. <laughs> Wait, no. I, Josh is the Duke apologist. You I only wrong. apologize. I did it one time. Uh, I am Alec Boyle. I'm the Baron Harkonnen of this particular audio entertainment <laughs> spectacle. Um, and I, in fact, remember the first book pretty well. And then the next two books to three books to four books? Not that well, but well enough to bring in... Uh, irritating details from them at inappropriate times. <laughs> totally accurate. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm really, I'm uh, on deck tonight because it's my job apparently to explain why the dinner party is a great scene. Uh, yes. You made some bold claims at the end of our last episode. Alec. I know. Uh, I think I'm going to win you over this week, though, even if I fail in my mission of explaining why the dinner party is a great scene, uh, because the dinner party contains some of the dukiest duke moments and the Pauliest Paul <laughs> moments in the entire book. Uh, and that I know I can prove. 
Uh, I know Lily will have something to say about the dukiest of dukes. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I think that's what she thinks about him. Yeah, it's very true. So, we don't, because this book issues <clears throat> chapters, we are reading from Greatness is a Transitory Experience, opening quote, through the next three chapters, concluding with. I don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we said we're only doing two today. No, you said that. No, you said that. <laughs> you told me that. I said we might only get through the dinner party. I didn't say... You said there was a natural stopping point, that really we should wait until mm. next time to start. Now this is all coming back to you. Otherwise, well, you just sabotaged me intentionally. I didn't think you would listen to me. Oh, I totally uh, listened to you. Anyway, and I we'll still want to what we get through. Yeah, I still want Josh and or Alec and I read through this dirge, which Josh, I'm surprised you didn't want to read and maybe sing for us, uh, with the infamous death scene of the old Dookie. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll have to wait the next time. And can we all make a vow? This is something I would like to ask of the entire Dweeboverse, not just us. All of us say spoiler all the time. Like, let's, we're just talking about the book. Y'all have seen the movie or you haven't. You're reading the book or you aren't. If it spoils, it spoils. I'm, I'm trying to not say spoiler anymore. Hmm. Okay. I'll attempt your challenge. I will not yeah. lose sleep if I fail it. I'll live I'm willing to be proven an animal in the ways of spoilers. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one who wanted to do the most spoiling in the beginning, so... I know. I feel like you should, this should be natural for you, bro. Uh, so I'll read that first quote, and then we can launch into how dookie that duke is. Greatness is a transitory experience. It is never consistent. It depends in part upon the myth-making imagination of humankind. The person who experiences greatness must have a feeling for the myth he is in. He must reflect what is projected upon him, and he must have a strong sense of the sardonic. This is what uncouples him from belief in his own pretensions. The sardonic is all that permits him to move within himself. Without this quality, even occasional greatness will destroy a man. From Collected Sayings of the Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Uh, and just right out of the gate, I call bullshit. He never said that. No human being would utter a <laughs> sentence like that. It's insane. Yeah, it's... It's nuts. I mean, so... Even just the very last, like, concept here, you really think that uh, even, what was it, even your occasional greatness or something, even occasional greatness will destroy a man? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't know. What about, I mean, what about Lily? I don't get it. I think I like glazed over this. I was like, uh, too many words. <laughs> it is too many words. Um, but also it's too bullshit. many big words. Yeah. I wanted to like, I, f I feel like sardonic is one of those words that I think I know the meaning of and I glaze over. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's sardonic. And then do I really like, do I actually know that? Or word does means? Frank Herbert not? I always imagined sardonic <laughs> as being sort of humor adjacent. Like, you have a sardonic sense of humor where you sort of... Like, I think maybe it just means stepped back. Oh, I thought it was sort remove. of, like, fatalistically um, uh, failed. I, 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 like, I think because it sounds, like, sarcastic, and I think that it's sort of fatalist, and so it's that sort of, like, self-deprecating... It's, it's yeah, cynical. Yeah, that's the word. 
Hmm. And and it's funny because I actually looked it up when I read it the first time, like four weeks ago. Okay. Um, and I was like, cause I, I, the exact same thing, I was like, I think I know what this means. But in this context, it doesn't, I'm like, do I know what this means? So it was the exact same mm-hmm. thing as you, Lily. Um, and since then, I forgot exactly what the definition was, but it says grimly mocking or cynical. Hmm. Yes. So we all seem to have like a grasp on what it is, but it doesn't. It's like not one of those words that just sort of sticks with you. It's pretty nebulous. I'm I'm okay with with just calling bullshit on sardonic the word. Just Figure out what you mean, word. Yeah. So then, what is this quote saying? Like, if you're going to be, it's like the ultimate cop out. Then is this is this supposedly Muad'Dib like copping out of like oh. You know, I couldn't really be great because greatness ruins you. I kind of always knew that, and that's actually what. That's makes why I me never great. got too great. Yeah, yeah. But, but made me the greatest by being not too great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you think greatness ruined Michael Jordan? Yeah. Well, or did Michael? I mean, <laughs> it's a chicken egg question. <laughs> Did greatness make Michael Jordan an asshole, or did Michael Jordan being an asshole make him great? Probably both. Why not both? Yeah, can be both. There was a really interesting quote on another podcast, a sports podcast, doesn't do, where they were talking about how, like, the real problem with that is that because Michael Jordan was great and one of history's great assholes, now there's there's all these middling assholes running around being like, "I have to be an asshole to be great," but they're not. <laughs> Didn't Michael Jordan just donate like a hundred million dollars? Yeah, but he's still an asshole. Okay, well, right? Like, like he could be a bigger. It's uh, hardly a defense. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad guy. I do no, think I he know. is at root an unpleasant person. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I would not say that greatness ruined him. Sure, for sure, he did not die. He was not destroyed. <laughs> By lacking sardonicity. <laughs> you think he's cynical? You think he's a cynical man? No, I think that's part of what made him great, in fact, was that he really, like, bought into his own... He had no cynicism about his greatness. Yeah, I actually think greatness re- greatness in the sense that maybe they're proposing requires narcissism, not a, sense, a sardonic sense of your own myth. Unless you're, you know, the mighty Paul. Maybe it's just trying to trick other people into not buying into their own hype. Anyway, I don't think we need to spend any more time on an opening <laughs> quote that we all hate. You can, you um, can cut all of this. It's garbage. <laughs> no. It's great. Yeah. It's at least copper. Some meth head would definitely steal this out of an abandoned uh, telephone <laughs> transmitter. Uh, so the first... Thing. Give us a 30 second rundown. 30 second rundown of this chapter. This will be less. It'll be like 15, unless I keep rambling about how long it's This novella of a chapter, yeah. Uh, this chapter consists of a fancy dinner party given at the Atreides Palace, where various shady personalities attend, and there's lots of uh, un or subspoken tension. Uh, and then maybe some almost violence. The Duke gets called away because um, they find Josh's missing carry-all. Yeah, they did. And Paul insists that he knows how to handle a room full of murderous grown adults, uh, no matter how much Gurney and his mom try to babysit him. 
That sounds about right. And um, then it peters out at the end, like the last big meeting scene, right? Like right. it just dis- well, <laughs> dissolves yeah. under We're its at own the end weight. Of the slide deck, so. <laughs> I like that it started with the uh, the big bull head and the oil painting of the old duke who was gored to Speaking death. of Michael Jordan, my marginalia for this, you all aren't going to be able to see it, is my version, which I'm realizing, I think all three of us are originally from Chicago, right? Is my version ends up being the Chicago Bulls head, because I was like, oh, the Bulls back, and then I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's this, just the Chicago Bulls mascot. Uh, there's a funny, cha- there's a funny passage, I think, in the next chapter, where Yui is, or someone is reminiscing about the fight where the old Duke died. Yeah. Um, I guess that's Thufer. Uh, and basically he says in that chapter, sort of under his breath, like, man, the old Duke was a shithead. So, like, maybe that's also part of it, is that, like, Leto doesn't have to be that good. He's just better than the old Duke sufficiently to inspire loyalty. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to it. We'll get to that when we get to it. There's a lot to also unpack in the uh, Jessica dresses down Thufer chapter that I think will be a lot of fun. Uh, apparently nobility in the 41st millennia are, uh, they're like the Inuits of poison, right? They have 80 different words for poisons and how they're administered. That was pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> I just like the names of some of these. I'm going to name Chamurki. Chaumas. <laughs> I want a whole dictionary of poisons. I was reading it and I was thinking... Like, oh, why don't we poison people anymore? And I was like, oh, wait, the Russians really do. Like, they do a lot oh, of that. Oh, that's true. I yeah. Think we're fine. <laughs> yeah, they do. You don't, yeah. It's alive and well. How, this is a question that may or may not have been answered, and I don't know if either of you, how did they give that guy the polonium? Did anybody ever figure that out? Was it in his food? Was it, okay. I mean, the Russians also often they, their language must have 18 different words for throwing someone out a window in different ways, right? Defenestration's the best one, though. Mm, I don't know. I'm sure there's some Russian word for, like, oh, we threw him out a window on a cold, moonless night uh, because he <laughs> refused to hand over his bank accounts. And that's just one word. <laughs> it's probably something like Chumurky. <laughs> Chumurky. So, let's, let's start with some Duke apologizing. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> This is going to be an uphill fucking battle, because I have some <laughs> thoughts on the Duke. Let's start with the uh, the custom that he abolishes uh, with, the, with the water basin. Okay, perfect example of, uh, like, the Duke's behavior from the last chapter. So, wait, before I rant, and before Josh explains his defense, I want to know Lily's thoughts on this specific interaction. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to find... So he he is talking with the water trader. Well, no, he's talking. It's one sixty one and one sixty two. Like the first, the second okay. page, yeah. So yeah, he, where they're he, talking he about how the Harkonnens used to make people uh, wash their hands and then dry their Drop hands on the towel. floor. Right, right. And then they, they get ring. the squeezings. Yeah, and the Duke's like, "No, fuck that." Uh, all right, so Josh, launch into your defense. Then let's hear the the good side explanation of what the Duke has done. So this custom of intentionally just slapping a whole bunch of water on the ground and sopping it up with towels to wash your hands and then making beggars come is shitty. Yeah, 100%. Barbaric and grotesque. No problem there. Um, so stopping it 
seems not shitty. Sure. It's pretty simple. I, I, think, okay. I think that's I think that's about it. He was grossed out by it. He thought it was uh, thought it was you know something okay. to get rid of. Okay. So I have two thoughts about this. Two thoughts about this. The first thought is actually something that comes up much later in the chapter. But later in the fucking chapter, the Duke just dumps a goblet of water onto the floor for no reason. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, no, that's sep- it's separate. There is a reason. There is a reason. Okay, well, you can explain the reason when we get to the, the maneuvering part of the chapter. The second thought I have on this is, yes, abolishing the custom is good. But the way that he does it, where he's just instantly like, nope, we don't, don't do that anymore. I'll shoot you if you try to do that, is very dooky. Right? It's very, I am not in any way going to consider the actual complex ramifications of this. I'm just going to order it done immediately. This is the most rational course of action. I am enacting it now. This wasn't. This wasn't about without being care concern. It, it says here how typical of a Harkonnen thief the Duke thought every degradation of the spirit that can be conceived. He took a deep breath and felt the rage tighten in his stomach. He had a reaction to the right. Harkonnens being which shit-ass. was right. Which you were again. This is one of the things. It is you are correct. It is it is an ethical good what he has done by ending this practice. It is a political dookie by not to pausing to examine all the ramifications of this and the best way to go about achieving it. Yeah, he's a little he reactionary, says, but he was he's already like in a mood, remember? He's always no, he's the not in a mood. And their moods. <laughs> when yeah. you're always pissy. He came from what anymore. but he came from from quite the mood. <laughs> And then this just Yeah, the Atreides have a hundred words for the Duke's moods. <laughs> is it post-nap grumpy? Or is it like, are we... That's like at one and lost carry-all is yeah. ten. Um, which is probably Josh's ten. I mean, ten. He's, he's being trolled pretty hard by the Harkonnens. I mean, okay. this is... Yeah, and then there's this whole slightly awkward chapter, where chapter section, where he's talking about he realized she had done this to taunt him subtly, a reproof against his recent pose of coldness. She was well aware that he liked her best in these shades, that he saw her as a rustling of warm colors. Here's the best part about that, though. He's convinced, oh, Jessica knows how cold I've been. She's very upset. And then, like, the next time Jessica talks, she's like, oh, yeah, he was in a mood. It's like, she did not in <laughs> any way notice this as special coldness. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Um, I loved that section. I was like, oh yeah, Jessica does not care that he's being pissy. The more I read this, I just love this cur- our current reading of it, which is like, Jessica's just part of this deeper, like deep Benny Jesuit state conspiracy. She gives no fucks. Like she could, she but could be as pawn. whatever she wanted to. She's a pawn in this conspiracy. She's not like the mastermind. Mm-hmm. She's often as surprised by what's happening. She was shocked that the Bene Gesserit had, like, planted all of these. She's like, oh, they've even done it here. I've heard of these things. Like, she's, like, vaguely aware of it, but also not nearly as aware of it as she should be. Uh, definitely not a mastermind. She is. She is certainly. I'm not saying a cog she's the mastermind, the but she's I'm, a cog. In I, don't, I don't think she as cog. She's less coggy than the other cogs yeah she's not a pawn she's maybe a knight like a bishop yeah yeah a bishop. on a need to know ba- on a very need to know basis <laughs> <laughs> um no but here's a, he's like jessica sensing his remoteness wondered at it as she had done frequently the past week he acts like a man struggling with himself 
is it because I move so swiftly setting up this dinner party? Like, these are not like, oh, does he think I'm a traitor? It's, oh, what's he pissy about now? Right, but later she realizes he's a desperate man. Here's what I do want to get back to and why I was confused about the water custom. Because when he, when the Duke walks up to Jessica talking to whoever the other guy is with his bland round face, which I love. Uh, that's the water trader who... Yeah, that's I'd... what I'm saying. Okay, so he tells the water trader, the water trader's piast. Yeah. Um, the custom has been changed, later Well, said. go ahead. Anyway, Jessica frowns, and in italics, a frown does not become her, but it'll increase rumors of friction between us. Just this, like, smile, honey, like a frown does not become you. Duke. Also, I don't know that I think that the water trader is actually as pissed as he's pretending to be, right? I think he's probing the Duke. When he mm. challenges the challenging of the cut. What what evidence do you have to back that up? That he's just probing. Mainly right how quickly he switches track, right? Like, and then later even Jessica's like, "Hey, when somebody is being underhanded, they'll always do sort of the same thing twice, right?" And which mm. she's talking about the Harkonnen banker at the time, but I think it's meant to give us context for the whole chapter, right? Which they're baiting. They're baiting. She's talking about how they essentially are baiting him, right? They'll they'll do one thing yeah. and then they'll try to to. Either not really walk it back, but they'll try to then lighten the mood with something else, but that is still um, pushing their agenda or pushing the mood in a certain way. But it's constantly baiting the Duke one way and then the other way. Right, so here he says, The water shipper asked in an angry voice, Does the Duke imply criticism or a custom? Then Leto Leto's it. Then he gets mad because Jessica's not a smiling object. Mm-hmm. Then the water seller just immediately says, With the Duke's permission... I'd like to inquire further about customs, right? And he switched. Leto heard the sudden oily tone in the man's voice, right? So, the anger was to see what the Duke would do if the if he if like they seemed to put up fierce resistance, and then the oily yeah. is like, oh, all right, fine, you're gonna fuck with the way the Harkonnens did thing. Let's see what you're really, what you're about, son. Right. Yeah, and, and then he calls him out on the conservatory. He's like, so yeah. you're all about water conservation. How about that? Sweet, sweet, moist conservatory you got back there. What do you think about And then the Jessica woman? saves his ass. The Duke is like, Hubba, Hubba, how dare you? And she's like, We have other plans. We're going to give it to the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that what Marjorie does in Game of Thrones? Doesn't she do something similar? Oh, you know, the- yes, I know what you're talking about. When she's betrothed to Joffrey at some point. Yes. Like- oh, the leftovers or something, right? Maybe. From the, from the wedding feast, from the pur- from the purple wedding. Yeah, we don't close. remember. Someone will remember. Marjorie does something similar. That's a typical like I'm gonna save my rageful a hole of a partner mm-hmm. by making this magnanimous gesture. Is that a world's bounce off of each other kind of thing? <laughs> oh, good new segment. <laughs> um, World billiards with the Moad waves. <laughs> I mean, we probably already beat this topic to death, but the uh, the custom that he abolishes, and the woman that says, I think it's a very generous gesture giving the water to thee, and then someone shushes her. So, what about that hot take? Well, again, there's no disputing that it's generous, right? And it's not even that it was, I think it was politically ill-advised. It's just that it was not considered in any way, Right. It's just a very uh, Atreides downfall kind of move. 
Well, no, no. Just, this woman is saying that she thought that the old custom was generous in that giving the water to the beggars oh, you think? was generous. Yeah. Oh, that is not how I read that, but... She says, I think it's a very generous gesture, giving water to the essentially poor. Where, what a, page? Give me the page. Uh, this is uh, 164, the second paragraph after the, is it a ducal order, my lord? Uh, oh. Oh, I see. So she doesn't know what Leto said. Right, He is. she doesn't know that they're giving away water anyway. She's defending the old way of giving away water. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Let's get to this dinner party, Alec. I okay. want to hear the rundown. We're burning, we're burning oil here. That's true. And it may be that it's too complicated of a... Um, oh, well, hang on. So even it, right, we're, they haven't even sat down yet, but they talk about how the water cellar uh, could blow up the water processing facilities or would threaten to blow up the water processing facilities if he felt he wasn't, you know, getting what was he was entitled to. And uh, the Duke thinks... How it must redouble his effort at infiltrating this Boots organization. And we must start on standby water facilities at once. No man is going to hold a club over my head. Ha! It's in italics. So clearly it's true. Um, And then the other thing I did kind of want to talk about was um, the part where Leto... Or not Leto. Damn it. Liet. Right? Where Kynes... Where she says, "Oh yeah, we're gonna give, we're gonna hold the water until all of Arrakis can bear plants," and then uh, Liette asks her if she brought the Quizet Satirac, which also, yeah. or he asks her if she brought the shortening of the way. And mm-hmm. I just thought, I think that's an interesting passage because I think that is maybe the the paragraph or moment where. The mysticism that Herbert is trying to imbue the story with comes closest to real fruition. Like, that's sort of a very coney sort of way to talk about a savior, right? Is is in a sort of, like, a a spiritual wormhole. A way to get from one place on the progress line to another without having to cross the distance in between. Interesting. Shortening of the way. And that it's tied to a sort of terraforming of Arrakis. Yes. I like that Thufur tried to forbid the dinner party before they yeah. even sit down, right? The guests are walking past Leto and Jessica and he's remembering Thufur and Thufur was like, I forbid a dinner party. And it's again, <laughs> just getting back into uh, the utter inadequacy of the Atreides intelligence machine. <laughs> <laughs> right like all these things are happening all around this entity and the thing that Thufur is losing his shit over is a dinner party which i, I mean i guess i read this i must have read that a month ago because i don't remember that at all oh it's the top of 167 mm. right jessica's talking about how she set up the dinner party very quickly mm-hmm. and then uh Lido, I think- oh gosh Yes, can we talk about this like protracted mother and father of the people shtick that Jessica's really into? Yes, Her please. father and mother <laughs> surrogates to them all. And she brings it up again in the later chapter. And um, So this is her indoctrination, it sounds like. Yeah, it doesn't... Reverend mother. She's already got right, this whole yeah. mother complex thing, right? 
And it's interesting because she, at this point, is aware of the fact also that, like, within the local, the permanent population, uh, there is more inculcation of receptivity to these uh, roles she's applying for herself and Lido. So this dinner party is to further that agenda, correct? That's why she's inclined to do this? Um, yeah, I think she's also trying to just get a hold on who the, like, major non-Atreides personalities are on the planet, and what their status is vis-a-vis the Atreides occupation. Yeah, it's like New People in Town 101. You throw a, like, Lux dinner party, and you invite all, you make yourself look important by inviting important people. All the small business owners and their favorite hookers. But you know how the Atreides feel about letting people into their shield. Like, this is... (laughs) (laughs) Slow penetration. Is that what we're talking about? This is actually where there's a huge breakdown in the Atreides uh, intelligence community. Okay. So... You have Thufur, who they all trust implicitly to protect them, um, who thinks this is a horrible idea. Um, they're letting all of these Harkonnen agents into their midst to feel them out. But Jessica does this on a whim without any of the necessary precautions. Potentially puts her son in danger, her husband in danger. Like, what, what was she thinking Throwing uh, see, this dinner I party, utter, in order but what, to try to I utterly disagree. Out. Yeah, well, I utterly because I, I don't disagree. What is the danger? Well, that's I, not how they're going to do it. The, the, the dinner there's party only is like, danger if they fail to see it, which they point out a hundred times. The places where they do see it, right? But the, the fact that they are aware that these people are Harkonnen agents, that these people, you know, they're trying to lure Paul. You know, there's potentially going to be violence at this very dinner. Right, Um, but I don't actually think... I don't... I guess I don't know. It's not entirely clear. I was kind of under the impression nobody had any real weapons at this dinner party. And so the danger was poison. And it seems like in Dune World, if you die from poison, everybody kind of assumes it's your fault. Like, literally, everybody scans every dish for poison, so if you didn't scan, you kind of got what you deserved? No, like, there's, like, at least twice where there's, like, a standoff. People are pushing themselves away from the table to potentially grab grab their weapons. They wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't an actual physical threat of violence. Or were they just going to brawl? That's just how they, yeah. I'm with Alec on this. I think I think Jessica was like, oh, these men. They always think that the dinner parties no, are like it's going to be this fact, overt aggression. Who brings a Chris knife to a scuffle? No, hang on. In fact, <laughs> in fact, though, there were no weapons, right? The 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 banker threatening duels, right, was just again, it was a probe. It was seeing how they would react. The actual plan, which I think was a half-hearted plan to kill anybody, was to get Paul to go back to his room. With the girl. With old girl, right. right, and have her kill him there. But no one or was really act- just probe him for secrets. They're just right. so obsessed with this, like, quick kill. No one was actually threatening violence at this dinner party. They were pretending to threaten violence to see how other people would react. It's the game sure. of houses. It was you know, a lot of, it was a lot of posturing. I too deep in the wheel of time. This is game of houses. It was a lot of posturing, but I don't know. It just seems... You're bringing these people into your midst within a few, you know, feet of your whole family, and 
you know that they are out to get you, but, and yet you didn't prepare any of the necessary people to kind of, you know, like figure what? out what's going on first. Well, like what? A- like Thufer. Thufer's like, I forbid it. Like, he right, forbids Thufer's- it for a reason. He sees. No, he knows it's happening. He's an idiot. The dinner party is a known threat that you brought in the front door. Well, he is very aggressively busy missing the real threat, right, of the smuggled by his guns. Sure. Okay. <laughs> no, not just sure. <laughs> You're saying there's no real threat here, and I think that there was a threat. And if they're okay. if they're really well, a smart mean, and cautious, you know, you just kind of coordinate a little bit. You you plan it, well, even just like okay, a little, so even just like a little. No, but so there, Herbert has us right because Herbert is in fact it goes into very lengthy detail in the next chapter about how the reason that wouldn't happen is because right now. Thufer and Jessica aren't talking to each other. Um, right? And that, and in also, fact, was the real Harkonnen plan all along, was to get the various, like, legs that prop up bitchy old Duke fighting against each other. So, tell me why they're right. fighting. And Jessica Jessica knew the- if, she was, if she went through the fully Thufer plan... He was going to forbid it, going to shut it down. And she's like, oh, I already sent the invitations. Sorry, boys. Like, I guess we're having the dinner party. She knew that the only way to get this dinner party to happen was to do it the way that she needed to do it and not get, like, death by committee, death by thufer. And she definitely made good, uh, she generated good intelligence assets out of it. Oh, she definitely mm-hmm. did. It, it actually, that was, like, the most interesting part of the whole, the whole thing, right? All right, let's get to that. Let's, let's okay. move forward in this. Yeah, so where should we go to, Lily? Should we go to the Tongues of Wild Rabbits? Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> most... it's, all I remember from that part of it is like, I hate when it's such a like banal, uninteresting move to ask a hostess like, oh, I love this. Can I have a recipe? <laughs> oh, I love this. I need your recipe. Like, no, you can't have my recipe. No. Yeah, I wonder if it's Be more also... interesting. Yeah. And I feel like it was probably even more... with your recipes, Lily? I give yeah. my recipes freely. <laughs> Why are you guarding those Benny Gesserit secret rabbit tongue recipes? Yeah, you, you better like, be you giving know, up I just recipes. looked it up on Pinterest. Oh, just like Google kohlrabi gratin and like figure it out. It's not... This is false flattery. I have way more interesting things to share about myself and my life than my like Pinterest recipes. I just realized another really interesting... Uh, forwards to backwards connection between this and the next chapter is that uh, everybody at this dinner party is like oh shit this Atreides wine is so strong and then in the next chapter it turns out that like right Gurney Halleck this accomplished interstellar warrior goes out has one spice beer and gets tanked (laughs) you mean Duncan? yeah Duncan sorry but like so they're obviously all lying right none of them are even vaguely tipsy Oh, that was, that was clearly them move. just trying to get away from the table. Right. After it's just a really pretty funny. Encounter. <laughs> it's just funny to try and claim, like, oh, yeah, this Atreides wine, it's real strong. <laughs> well, that's why you don't mix spice and alcohol. Like, those two things <laughs> compound on each other. Make up the rhyme for us, Josh. Spice before liquor. Yeah. <laughs> Out of dice. <laughs> See, this is why you've got to do it. I am not qualified for this. There's your cold open, Alex. 
I'm not bailing you out of this one. Okay. Um. Yeah, but so do we want to talk? So they ab- sit down at the table. Mm-hmm. The Duke is super dookie awkward. My toast is one of those maxims so dear to our hearts. Oh. Business makes progress. Fortune passes everywhere. So he's like, a rising tide, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's why you should be glad we're here at Arrakis. Water trader, sexual escorts, smuggler guy, person somehow I don't know is Leah Kynes. Yeah, it's so good still. <laughs> it's so good. Right? Half the room is literally like waiting on Leah's signal for everything they do. I also, I have to say, after Shout Out, Leah might be my favorite character so far, mainly because of the fact that when the Duke dumps out the glass of water, he just like pulls out a basin and pours the water into the basin and then like winks at Jessica. Like a little canteen. Yeah. And I just love that he winks at Jessica while he does it. He's just like, yep. I just picture him staring her down as he pours it without looking. Right. Yeah. And smiling. Oh, so, like, so smart. Absolutely, I'm not wasting this cup of water. I don't care what so the rest of you do. So 100%, never would I ever go to an Atreides dinner party. It is the most awkward thing ever. The Duke is really aggressive and intentionally putting people ill at ease by saying awkward right. quotes and like staring at them and dumping water out after he's made this other gesture about every water. every person was doing that. <laughs> You got the guy talking about the birds that are eating, that are drinking blood, and then people are bringing up cannibalism. You've got, um, I mean, but Paul brought up the cannibalism. That's another great Paul moment. He's like, "How can I emo this? Uh, Do they eat each other?" So no, literally every person took an awkward situation and tried to make it more awkward. They're all testing each other's (laughs) metal, which is fun. That's. that's good. They're Man. pushing boundaries. And the moment when Paul stabs a bite of food off of his neighbor's plate. That's my favorite. <laughs> Alec, that's my favorite moment in the whole chapter. That is such an amazing power move. He's just like trying to be like, oh, my du- my dad's gone. I'm going to be the mayor now. Like, Look, I know quotes. I know things. And then he just picks food off his neighbor's plate. I would have <sighs> decked him to, at that exact. Like, I would have started an interstellar war by decking him. Wait, who are you decking? Paul. Who's he plate says did you know? This uh, most edu- uh, oh, this the, is my quote of Paul. The water- Mo- most educated people know that the worst potential competition for any young organism can come from its own kind. He deliberately <laughs> forked a bite of food from his companion's plate and ate it. They are eating from the same bowl. They have the same basic equipment. <laughs> like, shut up, kid. <laughs> Give me my rabbit tongue. Oh, Get man. out of here. Did you see... Grown-ups are talking. Did you see Knives Out? No. Yes. Oh, this is very much making me think of Paul as... Um, uh, the, the the teenage boy who's all, who they are talking about how he's always jerking off to Nazi porn. What? <laughs> just like, he's just like... He's constantly lecturing on people on things that he has memorized the text of, but does not understand yeah. the context for. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think Paul, Paul, Paul knew what he was doing. Well, you only say that because at one point Paul is like, I knew what I was doing. Why did they stop me? <laughs> <laughs> I was handling this. Yeah, I had that, guys. <laughs> 
A toast to the boy who must be treated as a man. I mean, I guess, right, they do say at one point, Herbie does support him, right? With his deeper truth sense, Paul caught the underlying motive. Had to use every ounce of his training to mask his excitement. There is enough water, but Kynes doesn't wish it to be known. I guarantee you he did not mask his excitement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's sitting at the table like, I'm so subtle! No, 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 no. So, here, this is written from one perspective, but the book written from the other character's perspective is, that boy is really trying to mask his excitement. <laughs> I picked up on yeah, Okay, like, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Like, everyone um, thinks they're smarter than every other person at the table. And but, it's just going round and round. And it's it's pretty fun stuff. It's another, like, Kynes just has this amazing plot cloaking device, right? Where other people failed. Because, like, yeah, it would have been pretty obvious at that point that he was, like, covering for the fact that there was enough water and he knew it. And yet everybody's just like, yep, fine. No water. <laughs> Carry about your business. Back to Malthus, it's fine. So why do you think everyone is so ready to accept that answer? I mean, he's right. telling so them that, what they that already is, want to hear, right? Right, that is the good analysis question. And it does go into a bunch of other weird stuff that I don't know if it's ever really explained about, and maybe it is, but I don't remember the explanation, about like why nobody ever goes into the South, right? Why don't they do satellite observations of the South? Uh, where there clearly is, in fact, a large... Fremen population that you could probably observe from space pretty comfortably. Hmm. Uh, and maybe that is answered, and I just don't care, remember. Right? Like, why would they want to observe the Fremen? The Fremen are like, why would we want to? This well, is like, okay. why do we and observe, so we don't want to observe sage grouse. We don't want to observe. There seems to be this weird, or, and I, I think what we're getting at, right? What Josh is getting at is that this is getting into some sort of commentary that Herbert's making. There is a weird collective blindness going on here, right? A voluntary collective blindness. And the question for us as readers is not necessarily like, what is going on in the book? But what is Herbert trying to say about this, right? Is he saying that, in fact, all these people would just be willingly ignorant? Or is he saying they are not and something else is going on? I think what he's saying is going on is that scarcity makes their products valuable. And this is all about money. Okay, and so they don't want to investigate anything that would make their products less valuable. Yep. So everybody's stuck in this. I think there's this... also. And they don't I think there's like either. the hubris of the colonialists. Like the the fremen are so far beneath them. Nothing the fremen do would be of interest. Like they don't see them as having a unique, embedded, like endogenous intelligence about that place. They're sort of I don't know desert vermin that are merely there to be laborers or maybe savage warriors. And I use that term, uh, like, ironically. um, Right, sure. That they could enlist in their service, you know? Like, why would... I I don't know. It's the Great Sahara out there. It's a waste. It's something the Fremen go and do Fremen things. And why would anything be of interest to us civilized people? We're here to make money. You know, I don't care if they have water. They don't have water. They do it. They they drink their own pee. Why would I listen to anything they have to say? Why did Kynes pour the water into the canteen because that's his way or are you Mm. saying it was a deliberate statement to jessica oh i am wondering because you know now there's Hmm. this there's this additional dichotomy right 
Oh, is if he testing her? Is like, this enough is more water. than like, oh. Well, if there is enough water and it's and he's a man of status, he's not wanting for water. Why is he saving this water if it's the most precious thing like he's someone who's out in the desert and doesn't have his status? Oh, well, so but that's interesting, too, because then the other thing, and I'll let you go in just a second, Lily, but the other thing there, right, is that there being enough water doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of water, right? It just right. means there's enough water to start the process that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you do still need to save every cup. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. But was it more for show? Was was this an, was right. this an act of Right. Um, of, of yeah, I'm such a desert bumpkin, I'm not going to pour out a glass of water. Right. Yeah. Oh, and also sort of like a statement of his independence from the Duke. Right? Yes. He's the judge of transition or whatever. Definitely. He's like, more, more this is that. fucking stupid. I'm not doing this. Yeah, yes. I definitely think it's that. Um. So the Duke gets called out. There's awkward, right. awkward, awkward. The Duke has to leave. So Dick then, measuring right and left. Right. So then Paul's like, Paul's like, oh, let me out awkward my dad by telling this story about fishermen murdering each other and then comparing the banker to a fisherman who stands on his drowning friend's shoulders to try and reach the surface. It's a great uh, story. I was really I was really enjoying it. I do. It's a very good anecdote. It's just amazing that he's like let me double down on that. <laughs> yeah. Um... Right. Dad almost started a fight. Let me start a fight. Yeah, so we never did come back to the Duke pouring out all the water either. Um, oh yeah, because you had thoughts about that. I am actually I'm very interested in those. Yeah, let's let's just quickly talk about that because I didn't think there was actually a whole lot to it. But you guys seemed a little. You're like, what was that all about? Yeah, and it so was about I... being awkward. It was about imposing. Hmm. This had nothing to do with a custom. It had nothing to do with a lack of or an abundance of water or richness. This was just him testing his guests. He was wanting to see how they would react, see who would obey, see okay. their faces, and he wanted to put them on tilt also. So this was just an act of aggression. Okay. Did you know that in uh, many ways this is either a direct callback to or simply coincidentally uh, evocative of a story about Calvin Coolidge? No, do tell. What? Uh, Calvin Coolidge was a tremendous idiot who became president of the United States during the 20s. And uh, he was famous for his practical jokes. And one of them was that at a White House uh, dinner party, he, when the coffee and dessert was served, he took his coffee cup off of his saucer, poured milk into the saucer, right? Waited till all of his... Because it was, it was a decorum to do the same thing that the president was doing, at least at that point. Waited till all the guests poured milk into their saucer, started lifting the saucer to his lips, and when they did that, turned and put the saucer on the ground so his cat could have it. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. He's an idiot. It's also very dickish, but it's pretty funny. I mean, were his guests a bunch of traitors that wanted to kill him in his house? I don't know, you know, I'm not too familiar with exactly what the state of things was, uh, you know, internationally during the Coolidge press. Oh, and then at the end, at the end of the very cha- the very end of the chapter, it's revealed that the Harkonnens were trying to smuggle las guns out of the planet, which will uh, matter soon. But I think we should move on to the second chapter if we're going to try and cover it at all. I want to too, but Alec, like... 
you started off so enthusiastic, but mm-hmm. what is your pitch for why this is such a like, I, brilliantly so, written chapter? Give us the pitch. I love all of the like unwritten interactions in or unspoken stuff, right? And the way everybody is uh, fencing and probing each other. I mean, I guess maybe it's kind of like how Josh loved that PowerPoint presentation. Right? Like, I just love a snotty, witty dinner party. Yeah, so the same way Josh loved the PowerPoint presentation, I was just like, ooh, I love attending slightly awkward, uh, um, veiledly, veiled political dinner parties. I loved every jab. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Yeah, I love the politics of this. And, you know, you had the, the girl who was the companion who they were trying to bait Paul with. Um, like literally everyone there had an agenda and uh, was picking sides and throwing jabs and having fun. It was great. Why didn't you like it? Why did you think it was a slug, Lily? I don't know. You know what it missed? Like if, you know, I like, uh, this isn't, I'm not proposing this as a world collide, but like sort of, if this is supposed to be a Downton Abbey style, you know, political dinner party, I miss the Dowager Countess. Like, it needed that hmm. comic foil in order for me to fully enjoy it. Like, hmm. they all took themselves way too seriously, and it was missing that element of someone. And it, in some ways, it's Leah who's like, no, I'm not pouring. No, we're not doing that. Um, but that's... Paul I think that, and Hannibal, that Hannibal Birds. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty good. But the, none of them... I, I need someone who's my ally in those sorts of scenes who's like yeah i'm with yeah they're saying the things that Mm. need to be said like if leah had a sense of humor which he doesn't no not really you need like gurney to step in or something and be like right point out somebody being i guess that smuggler is kind of the closest you get right yes Mm. he just kind of laughs when the assholes get shown up but right he's not contributing much yeah right i need the jokester god i need the like um Who's the Viking one? Loki? Loki, yeah. I need a little Loki in that dynamic. Hey, I got a question. All right. When uh, when Kynes pours his water into his little uh, his little sack there, is that a space bag? <laughs> maybe is that he's where just the carrying... terraforming water is accumulating? Yeah, maybe he's just carrying around every drop <laughs> of water needed. In his own personal space bag. This episode brought to you by space bags. When you don't want to carry your own shit. (laughs) Why fold space? Why fold your shit when you can fold space? All right. Next chapter. We move on from the dinner party where everyone swings and measures. Um, And the next chapter opens with the quote, There is no escape. We pay for the violence of our ancestors from Collected Sayings of Moody by Princess Ruin. And I just wrote, in the midst of everything that our country is going through, my my face says, oh, shit. I just, like, <laughs> sat. I was like, oh, I got to get my reading done. I opened the book, and I was just like, I think this was, like, a couple nights ago when everything was happening and just, like, confronting the reality of our nation, just like, all right, we're really in it. Talk about this is like some Herbert prescience right here. Yeah, there's no escape. We pay for the violence of our ancestors, which I think we really are right now. Yeah, um, 
But this is specifically talking about the Atreides and Conan, right? Well, that's what I want to offer. I read the quote. It's a saying of Muad'Dib. And then I get through, this is the Jessica Thufer um, showdown. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about it, because oh. I came back to it at the end of the, after reading the chapter, and was like, what is this quote actually about? Like, and, who, is, who are the violent ancestors that they're answering to? Right and, and at the very least, it applies to at least three different sets of opposing entities in this chapter, well, in this book, right? So yes, it is for sure about Harkonnens and Atreides. Yeah. I think it's also in many ways about the ancestors of the Mentats and the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, that's what right. Who are opposed organizations um, that probably have ties to earlier sort of you know, not necessarily organizations, but certainly uh, attitudes and acculturations. And I think it's also very much uh, about Paul talking about what happens in the future. Hmm. Um, it's it's about stuff that happens beyond the scope of this uh, initial encounter in Dune, but mm-hmm. you know. All right. so Jessica wakes up. She hears a big ruckus. She's not sure what's going on. We kn- we learn that she keeps some other time other than local time. She's like, oh, the clock says local time, so that means it's two a.m. Two a.m. Where like Caladan, the Benny Gesserit homeworld, right? The well, okay, so here's what I think it's about. I think that what they really mean there is that they haven't adjusted their clocks to the rotation rate of Arrakis. So the the hour is generally accurate, right? In the, oh, it had not been properly adjusted. Oh. Right, so the, the hour is generally right, right? It is in the middle of the night. But the minutes aren't right because Arrakis rotates faster or slower. I haven't reverse engineered that than Caladan. Right? Because that's... I totally read that wrong. I read that as a, like, oh, she's actually keeping time. Why would the... That doesn't make sense. Hold on a second. Minutes are longer? Yeah. Time is... is, Yeah. Thank you, Josh. I I was trying to learn this, but that's bullshit. Time doesn't really exist, but... um, It's either a standard unit of measure or it's not. No, so... You just have more hours... Right, and so their clock has not agreed, right? The, she's saying the clock should be on the flat of an hour, right? Because their hours here are so many minutes long. But on Caladan, our hours were this many minutes long. Okay, there is no way someone waking up in the middle of the night is trying to adjust for the length <laughs> of, of, a, of, a, of an Arachnid Arachn hour would, because every so even if it's 21 minutes longer you got to do that every single hour so now she's got to figure out how many hours it's been and then every what three hours you're off by an hour well then if it okay so here's fine <laughs> counterfactual if the problem is that Arrakis is 21 minutes off from Caladan why would she give a shit <laughs> This, I this, 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 this is this is whole Frank, logical water. This is Frank trying to come up with some sort of sci-fi okay. time thing, yeah. and mm-hmm. he certainly this has no idea. Thing. And if somebody yeah. if somebody has a good explanation for what Frank <laughs> has done here with time physics, I would love to know. 
when I'm not understanding. Okay. But I gotta yeah. tell you, Thank it sounds you, like a bunch of I stuff. I was so ready to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll, like, yeah, I'll just really rotate. No, no you're no. right, it's total bullshit. Okay, I will, it's, total, uh, it's total sci-fi bullshit. I will seed my Herbert apologization. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm okay. He, he can... He can he can stretch some shit for you know he's got some he's got some wiggle room. This is sci-fi, but there's there's no explaining what's happening here. It's wasted on that. Who cares? Everyone hates daylight savings time. No, maybe yeah. Oh, maybe that's his commentary. We shouldn't change time. And it's weird. Suspension of disbelief moment. It's weird because he could have just said like he could have just said oh I right she could have thought I haven't adjusted to the new like time zones right. Right. It's two a.m. But it's Blame, the day. The blaming it on the clock sleep? is weird. Yes, it's very... And I want to know about these space clocks. Maybe these space <laughs> clocks are real fancy. Because if they can adjust at an hour... I mean, like, you can't take a, an Earth clock and use it in a place to, so that you can keep essentially noon happening at the, when the sun's at the same point in the sky anywhere else. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. Yeah, clocks are like umbrellas where you think, like, we've pretty much mastered that design technology. Like, you can do a little bit of finicking around the edges, but a clock is a clock. Like, we have we have nailed that. We have nailed the umbrella. You're not making a lot of improvements on the umbrella. But now I learn. Well, they didn't have the to fix, they didn't have to fix the clock. We just have to add an extra day almost every four years to fix <laughs> how not accurate the clock is, right? Like That's not the clock's fault. That's our unit of measurement. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is... Anyway, all right, we can't we can't talk about this clock the whole time. Space clocks. All right, well, let's, we got to get a hold of space clocks. I need to know about these space clocks. So she jumps out of bed. She does immediate calculations. Minus twenty one minutes, two a.m. And then she's like, "Get my robe, strap a Chris knife to my thigh, and just head out there." She's the she's the big old lady Jessica. She is heading to figure out what is going on. She is going to sort out business. And this is when this is the moment when I fall in love with her. I'm like, yes, she's got her like silk robe flying. Can what? I ask? What did she strap to yeah. her leg before she got the? Strap That's what I was about to ask. What weapon did Jessica carry before Shadow gave her the Chris knife? Because she seems very attuned to this. Yeah, thing. she like, she really <laughs> took it on quickly. <laughs> I really it, was first, it was first day on Dune, so maybe she didn't need to back on Caladan. Oh, maybe. I mean, they certainly... No, she's always had it. You're totally right. She was like, ooh, shout out just upgraded me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that was it. It was probably made out of the tusk of some sort of uh, the previous homeworld's it was the horn of a bull. It's a bloody horn yeah. of a bull. <laughs> it totally was. She's moved on. She's yeah. like, Duke's going to die. Moving on. Oh, um, we learn that the Duke, she checks all her monitors. We learn that she and the Duke sleep in separate bedrooms, which, no problems with that, but just something to put in her back pocket here. And let's, Duke probably snores like a whole hog family. Look at this first, this first uh, page of this chapter. And the two short statements that are in italics. This is how this entire book is written, essentially. Is this a Harkonnen attack? What if Leto's hurt? Okay, and what <laughs> happens in this chapter? Duncan gets drunk. Okay, and then? And then her and Thupor have an argument? Jessica dominates. And then? That's it. Okay. That's it. That's all that happens. 
And then what happens what happens after that? Oh, the Harkonnens attack and, and Leto gets hurt. Right. Yeah. In the next chapter. Okay. You're right. In the next chapter. Did but you still, read the next chapter? Did you read actually either. read and you told us? I, I didn't read either of them. I was going off of your guys' cues, so but here, it doesn't really matter. My point <laughs> is every time you look at a chapter, all you ha- a page, all you have to do is read the words that are in italics. And either they're to- and, and they're, it's one of two things. They're either it's exactly what's gonna it's posed as a question and it's exactly what's gonna happen, or it's posed as a statement and it's exactly the opposite. Or it's a song. Oh. Or it's a song. Hmm. Hmm. I like this. Alright. I like it so too. So we're we're learning some things about old Frank's writing style. Mm-hmm. That's, that's real funny. Okay. I didn't read it, so that's all I got. You guys are you guys got the rest of this. Okay. Yeah. We'll... <laughs> I'll try to find a commercial. <laughs> uh, so she goes out. Duncan is just drunk as a skunk. He is toe spice up. beer. Oh, spice! I gotta get a hold of the spice beer people. Hold on, say that again. There we go. There's a sponsor. Get us a case spice, of spice, it was spice beer. Ale. Spice ale. Yeah. And I don't really get why they're quite so mad at him. Like, can he not tie one on? Like, man, he's been working hard. They're settled in Arrakis. Can he not have like a night out? And I love how he comes back, and oh, <laughs> he's super drunk, and he goes, "I've killed three hundred guys for the Duke." <laughs> that's, that's what's on his mind. I'm. Drunk. I first wet my well, sword. Actually, on. hold on. I do think that's interesting and important in that it is sort of a rebuke to the Atreides as good guys story, right? Mm. Right? Like the, the the Atreides favorite retainer, if he happens to have a little too much to drink, <laughs> just can't stop crying about the genocide he's committed. Well, who's he killing? My sword is first-blooded and grumman. I think it's probably Harkonnen or Harkonnen adjacent, but I bet there's a lot of innocent-ish people that are Harkonnen adjacent. He's obviously sad about it. Hmm. Are there any people within these houses that you would say are innocent adjacent? Because they all seem pretty crappy. Hmm. That's interesting. That may be a point of the book that no one is actually... Right? I mean, we we would attach a certain degree of... uh, Ethical rectitude to shit out, but she's a cold-blooded killer. Kynes is a jovial botanist, and he's a cold-blooded yeah. killer. I, but I wasn't... Actually, I was going to exclude the Fremen. Oh, no, I think literally everybody in these... I, I, I guess you might have been, but I went further, and I was like, wait, is anybody in these books not, like, you know, a slaughtering bastard? And I yeah, don't but, think so. But the Fremen are slaughtering for a good reason. Everybody's slaughtering for a good reason until they're not... And that's actually a big point of the book. Hmm. That is a good point. I This makes me think, and I'm not really prepared to elaborate on this too much, but there was a point earlier when they were talking about the carrying capacity of the planet, and this is why you have to monitor it, and I was just like, ugh. It always makes me uncomfortable and itchy when people veer into Malthus and, like, you know, it's survival of the fittest, and there's just a carrying capacity, and we have to decrease the surplus population, and uh, it just reeks of, like, imperialism and... Let's, let's, Quickly let's veers go into back. eugenics. Let's go back to the story. Who's the Shadow Mapes killing and why? That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think she's 
pro- we are meant to infer that sort of uh, Matahari style, maybe. She's killed a lot of Harkonnens, right? She's a deep agent. She goes into the cities and then kills unwary Harkonnens in alleyways with her Chris knife. You mean she's not doing it while she's cleaning their houses? Like, sleeping in their beds kind of thing? I mean, I think you can only kill so many people in their beds before you stop getting <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> right? And we know that she worked most recently in the house of... Um, I forgot their names already. Um, but old girl who left the conservatory. Was the Wasn't it the... Uh... No, you keep yeah. thinking it's the emperor. It was not the God. emperor. Yeah, who was it? It was... Uh... It was, oh, he was like a, oh, Count Fenring, that's his name. Yeah, the Count. Count Fenring and his wife, right? Who, I don't know who the fuck they are, but they, I don't know, they're like sort of attached to the Harkonnens, but they're not Harkonnens. And is, she is there a house Fenring? Uh, I don't know. First of its name. Yeah, I don't read. Uh, I will... Right, I will reveal that the Fenrings uh, appear again in the book. Okay. So. Well, we don't know if they're one of the great houses. Right, but we'll get answers. All right, so so oh, he's drunk in a spice beer. He's drunk as a skunk. Schwasty. Not clear. I mean, maybe he was drugged. Something that's in italics at one point, like, oh, was he drugged, right? We don't know, because it does seem like if anyone in this crew... Like the Atreides crew could hold his liquor, it'd be that guy. And so that begs the interesting question. Assuming that he. Well, there's a couple of awkward questions here, right? Assuming he followed Old Girl home. Mm-hmm. If she's a Harkonnen, she is a Harkonnen agent. He followed her home. Does that mean that they got drunk together? I can't really follow it. And if they got drunk together and she drugged him, did she drug him? Just to send him home drunk to get in trouble and sow discord? Why didn't she simply murder him? Because that then, then they're obviously then they become to blame. Then they would if she murdered him, they'd be like, "They're the murderers. Go get those bad guys." I guess it doesn't seem like anybody's in any doubt about like that these people are her Conan agents. So here's what it says. Okay. Where has he been, Jessica asked. He escorted one of the young ladies home from the dinner. My lady. Right. How it's orders. Which young lady? One of the escort wenches. Oh, interesting. So it wasn't they the water. They could have just stopped at escort. They could have just stopped at escort. Didn't need, didn't need that second part. <laughs> didn't need that wenches? And then they go on about how he often does shit for the escort. No, they go on about how he's always assigned to watch the women, which is like, again, it's like saying Liette behind Kynes, like two feet behind Kynes' back. They're literally <laughs> saying it in front of Jessica. <laughs> You're right. It's so, it's so good. Um... Yeah, uh, no Atreides underling is trained in subtlety in the slightest. <laughs> Alright, uh, so he's drunk I don't care who he escorted from He comes right. back, he's drugged Maybe they were trying to get information out of him Who knows, he comes back, Jessica's pissed Does the classic ninth, Like this was what dates this book in some ways Get this man coffee, get him a stimulant I love it, and, and, then, like, right, and then Yui shows the up And Yui's like, like, give him coffee Right <laughs> That'll work, that'll sober him up 70,000 years in the future They haven't invented a sober <laughs> pill 
Oh, you're right. I read that line wrong. They're always calling on Idaho for special surveillance of the ladies. Yeah, because he's the one who's supposed to be watching Jessica. Uh, interesting. I thought he was doing like stakeouts for the escort service for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I read it that way, but that makes way more sense. Okay. But again, right, so they literally say that drunker. to Jessica. It's an amazing passage. Yeah, continue with your summation, Lily. Your... So he's... My attempted 30-second rundown that y'all keep interrupting. Now, hold he's on drunk. a second. He's like... <laughs> I almost me. did it just to do... Excuse me. <laughs> did you do that just for comedic effect, or were you actually had something to say? No, it was just for comedic effect. Oh, thank God. Okay. There is going to be some good right. voice action later in this chapter. I will now shut up forever, I promise. <laughs> so, he's rambling on. I first blooded my sword when the walls fell you know and they try to sober him up and then he starts babbling and he basically outs that Jessica's an item of suspicion doesn't matter what the actual quote is I can't find it in my book right now but uh, I have like, nothing to say I'm to a Harkonnen traitor yeah you 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 slut I don't talk I don't answer to you I first blooded my knife when the walls fell Shock and when the she's walls like fell. Exactly. Worlds collide. And then she's like, say what? And then she's looking around like, oh. oh well, what she weird. actually says is, that calls for shock treatment. Excuse me. <laughs> what, is, what is happening here? No, she's talking about Thufer with the shock treatment. Oh, no. No, he says no, he doesn't right. want she's, to feel better. No, we can argue with right. him all night. That's just a phrase she says all chapter. Huh. Which I'm now he, realizing yeah. is, is he some... ready for shock? Is he ready for the shock now? Ooh, now it's time to bring the shock. Which I'm now realizing is some is sort there... of literary device. I guess it's supposed to be foreshadowing of what happens in the next chapter. Oh, interesting that it's not. She's saying he's going to be shocked. There's not some Benny Gesserit shocker, like a no. The shock she comes up with is throwing the coffee in his face. <laughs> Huh, I figured there's just like another Gom Jabbar, but it, you know, electrocutes you. No, it's like just yelling at him, and then she throws coffee yeah, at him. saying something is shocking. <laughs> so he says, I don't take orders from a spy, and then Yue plays it super cool and is like, ooh, and then stares over at Jessica like, oh. I envision this is like a oh. telenovela. Like he says it, and then all the music is like, bum, bum, bum. And then it comes in real close to his face. Yeah, it comes right? in really <laughs> close on Yue's face. And then cuts to commercial. And and Jessica's all aghast. <gasps> Pearls were clutched. And does not notice the look on uh on And Louis's only face. then it becomes clear to her. Like it makes you doubt Jessica, like, really, like, is she as as astute as she thinks she is? Is she all BG magic or is she not? Well, and Mapes I is put just in this... the background shaking her head, just like, oh my god. I Lily, I put this back in Jessica's category on the it's so hard to distinguish between real bullshit from the Duke and chronic bullshit from the Duke. Right? She didn't notice because she was like, yeah, he's always an asshole. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting theory. He's such a bumbling dolt of an a-hole that it actually ends up providing a protective shield for his... It- Right, it did actually prevent her from suspecting what she should have, but not for the reasons that he thought. (laughs) Not Jessica. Right, she picked up that he was doing what he was doing, 
She just right. blamed it on him being him. <laughs> but how did she not notice it from any anybody else? Like, well, she... They're all like, keep, keep an eye on Jessica. Like, everyone else should have been like, um... Well, she certainly should have noticed. No, but you're right. She should have noticed Duncan following her around, right? She yeah. should have been like, what the fuck is up with Duncan doing this? Although maybe you would just attribute it to people guarding, right? People, Everybody's on the guard because they're on Arrakis. Gotta smell all your food for Chumas. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So say they do that. They, and she... And then she and Yue is there, and he's like, do you want some pills? I could give you some pills. And she's like, no, I don't want any pills. Stop. I mean, maybe for later. Okay, put some put some in my room, but I don't want to talk to you right now. Which, well, <laughs> in relation to the next chapter, um, I feel like if Jessica had been uh, sedated, that would have severely interfered with Yui's plans for the next chapter. We'll get to that when we get to it, I guess. But he loves okay. people. He does All right, love so she, she and she and Thufer have a standoff because she's like she knows if anybody's behind, everyone's suspecting her on some plot. He's she's like, you're the only one right. that has any cloud around here. What the hell is up? We we're gonna talk about this. I will see you in my office, right? Which I'm then, so excited for this scene in the new movie because I love the guy who's playing Thufer. All right, so Jessica is like, see me in my office. They have their showdown, and they are both stone cold, man. Like, it does say, I love that it says that Thufur is, like, crackling with a drug-induced energy. Like, I just always am going to come back to, they are all popping pills all the time. Well, the oh, the and, start of the next chapter, the Duke's like, I haven't slept in five days. Right. <laughs> tweaking. It's like, no wonder tweaking, you guys missed downing, some shit. Eating, <laughs> So I don't actually find the back and forth that interesting, although it's probably great where they're just like filling each other out and and they're just like both actually super loyal to the Duke or is she Um, that they're trying to play trump cards on each other and they're upping the ante back and forth. But what I want to come to is like they do know they're talking about like, okay, if it's not you and it's not me and I'm not saying it's not you and I'm not saying it's not me because I still totally don't trust you. But can it be you a and they're just, again, this blind spot of like, no, he's got that training, that thing, that tattoo on his forehead. It can't be him. Plus, oh, not to shit. mention that his wife was a Benny Gesserit slain by the Herkonnens, Jessica said. So they do know this. Like, they know about Wano Wellington. Wano Wellington. the Herkonnens were involved. Wano Wellington. Lily, you just... But then Howitt says, oh, so that's what happened to her. But- yeah, how did you not... Like, look that shit up. You had one job. You had one job to figure out who had ties to Harkonnens. You missed this? Um, You missed this one? Hang on. Wait, who was it that you said just knew about Wanda Wellington's thing? Jessica was like, yeah. I mean, they're like, oh, yeah, it can't be UA. I mean, intensely, like, can't be UA because he's got that training. And then she goes, well, his wife was slain by the Harkonnens. And then Thufir says, oh, so that's what happened to her. Um, but hang on. I I think actually you just blew open a new Dune Spiracy. Here's my Dune Spiracy. Here's my new Dune Spiracy. Uh, Sook school conditioning is fucking meaningless. 
Throughout history, hundreds of nobles have been slain by their souk doctors. The imperial machinery just pushes this myth that a souk doctor can never hurt anyone in order to plant deep agent assassins with the noble families. Uh, so there's like are there other deep... is there other do you think that there are other instances of this in the text anywhere or is this just a fun theory no i don't think this is any i don't i think yui may be the only souk school doctor we encounter at least in the text of dune one uh, but as a parallel to the right? deep benny jizzard conspiracy we're like they've got right their just, own. but everybody's they've like their... so convinced of this and it's so yeah not that difficult to subvert Right, that it there must be. In- it. Yeah, it must be instead that every time a souk doctor kills somebody, they just cover it up and blame it on someone else. Probably the sure. wife, also, or, the, or the mistress. You would think the Benny Jesuit would have a way to overcome it too, right? Or are they the ones I, doing it? I right, or yeah, or they are you right? They are probably mm. who the right. It's probably either independently them or them in conjunction with the imperial, right, apparatus. But yeah, it doesn't seem that hard to overturn suit conditioning. I like this theory. I hope it comes back. Or so the Harkonnens are just They're so much more clever than who the traitor is. Thufir's like, I'm the Duke's man, right? Oh, oh, yeah, this is the moment I wanted to come to. And she's like, he's trying to prove how loyal he is. And he's, and she's like, well, you did almost let my son die. Why, why should I trust you? He's like, I, I offered the Duke my resignation. And she claps, clap back of the entire book so far. She's like, did you, did you offer me your resignation? Did you, (laughs) did you talk to Paul about this? Or you just, oh, the Duke was enough. And he's like, I'm the Duke's man. (laughs) Amazing. Love Jessica for that clapback. This this chapter more than the more than the dinner party chapter. I just love Jessica. This chapter, yeah, she makes. I, I mean, a little bit of it's overwrought, but she is just like, ooh, on it. Um. And so she comes up with the theory: destroy the place and destroy the person. You and I, Thufir, of all those who love the Duke, are most ideally situated to destroy the other's place, right? And by place, she doesn't mean like community she means like position within these hierarchies and so if the Harkonnens her theory is if they can pit the two of them against each other they'll throw the whole world upside down because everything revolves around the Duke but it doesn't well (laughs) but I think also maybe she's also saying if they can pit them against each other yeah I mean I guess she's too fixated on the Duke right because the real answer turns out is if you can get like right if you can get the legs of the Atreides three-legged stool fighting each other the thing becomes much easier to push over uh in like i don't know hypothetically five pages seven pages (laughs) (laughs) oh so then they go back and forth some more thufer tries to say like oh but i looked at things objectively and i was just interested i don't have much to say about this other than like oh you just have to he's the mentat right and he's like you just have to see them outside yourself and see them objectively and she's like right but you can't see yourself objectively because you're still actually a person he's like "Mm, that makes me uncomfortable (laughs) there is some great mentat criticism here and it's interesting i wonder to what extent this is also herbert criticizing contemporary people who claim to focus so exclusively on logic Mm -hmm. or maybe computers it's not 
entirely clear and i think he's not entirely always clear on to what extent the mentats have become computer-like computerine because they can't like he right. probably wants to believe that they're fully that way and it turns out they're just human i'm the duke's man yeah 100 percent. okay here's i don't want to miss this where uh, Jessica's trying to get this ready. She's trying to knock Thufir off his, off his pedestal, and she's she's saying again, they're combating. The Duke and I are father and mother surrogates to our people. She is so into that idea. We are surrogate surrogate parents to our people, and he just interrupts her to say, he hasn't married you. Which just further, I just want to bring that back that like the oh, it doesn't actually matter that they're not married. It does. It does. It does to anyone that actually cares about it. And it's a very... No, I think it's like... I don't know. It's weird that he tries to pass it off on her. It's the whole... I mean, I I actually think he does a good job of portraying a really fucked up power dynamic here, right? Because the Duke is always trying to convince her that it's not a big deal that he hasn't married her, even though he knows that she's this, like, deeply trained, politically... uh, you know blend of master politicians spy and psychic witch right and he's like no she totally bought it (laughs) but at the same time she is also like you know thufer i could have made him marry me and if i felt like it i could have let him think he actually wanted to do it Mm -hmm. right so like there's such a tangled mess there And she uses the voice on him. She, she uses the fuck out of the voice on him. Voice and then on he's like, it's so good. He is one thousand percent shook by it. Yeah. He's like, how flabbergasted? It made she made me sit down. What else? Could, she's like, oh, oh, my training. You know, it's like, wait, she had this power all along, and he just doesn't know how to process it. And she totally wins. The thing that is either not consistent or not consistent with Thuper's self-image, at least, right, is that at that moment, he should have instantly been like, oh, if she wanted anybody dead, she could have them dead at any minute. Why am right. I worrying about this? Right? Like, right. Where's, where's your logic now, buddy? Yeah, she's a full-on BG power, like BG dynamo. She could, If she wanted the Duke dead, she could just tell him to jump off a cliff. I know, I'm fascinated on this read-through because of the way that we are diving into it about the ways that Herbert chooses to portray the voice. Hmm. And then he almost never, right, in a, in a lesser work of science fiction or fantasy, when somebody said, you know, something in the voice, there'd be, like, a stupid font and everybody would be like, oh, the weird echoes of the voice rang through the room, right? But more, most of the time, he does a much more subtle, like, somebody says something and then a character obeys in a way that is uncharacteristic and you are left to infer, right? Or after the fact, somebody's like, wait a minute, why the fuck did I do that? Uh, and I just... I like it. Yeah. It's really good and a thing that certainly, uh, well, fantastic, the Lynch... Dune does not uh, reflect. Fair. Fair point. But she uses a voice on him. He's shook. He's like, oh, she is actually, okay, maybe I should stop with this. And they kind of agree to like, she kind of tells him now, go figure out who actually is the problem. And I just want to end our, if unless there's more pressing things on this quote. And he knew 
that whatever the facts proved to be in the end, he would never forget this moment nor lose the sense of supreme admiration for the Lady Jessica. Uh, yeah, it's a real good... You don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> it's a real good uh, quote. It's also a real... Um, awkward foreshadowing. <laughs> so all right um i think it's time for us to wrap up this week uh we've actually been recording for a very long time uh editing this down is going to be wild but before we go let's hear from one more of our sponsors yeah we gotta we gotta head to the chum zone um so we've got a uh, a new sponsor this week the uh, the good people at uh, sun trades have uh developed a new um a new pill, a new little pill to pop. It's called Dunesta. <laughs> uh, Dunesta is a um, well, the the medical, the real medical term here for it is uh, melanchopan, and it is um, it is their new their new sleeping sleeping pill. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try a once over here on the copy. It's a little it's a little. Um, I think they sent it to us in a rush just because um, we were trying to get it in here by the end of the episode. So we may have to do like a like a re-recording of it and just kind of you can just insert it back in later once once we kind of clean it up a little bit maybe we'll add some some music yeah we have we have that advanced technology yeah dunesta yeah dunesta have you are you tossing and turning at night um having trouble uh, staying asleep or falling asleep uh, thoughts of chow murky or betrayal <laughs> dehydration in your head you need dunesta good people at some tradies uh, have brought Dunesta for a for those sleepless nights so that you can get the sleep that you need uh, so that you are ready for those verbal jabs at all those dinner dinner parties that you're having. Um, they really understand the needs of the people on Arrakis, and Dunesta is the pill that you want to pop when you are on Dune. Uh, so now, Dunesta, you just can't sleep at night. <laughs> Does Centrades also offer some of those fabulous six-day awake stim pills I've been hearing about? <laughs> I'll ask him. I'll ask him. Because um, I want to be jittery like the Duke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So thank, thank you, uh, Centrades and uh, and Dunesta. They sent me. Yeah, a, man, I uh, look forward to popping one of those. They sent me a couple of samples. So I'll send. I'll send you guys. Please do. You know, a few to try as well. We can we can report back next time. Awesome. Sounds good. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Gom Jabber with us, the Mua Dweebs. We will read some chapters and talk about them. Hopefully Josh will join us. <laughs> Hopefully my internet will work. Hopefully Alex's internet will work. Hopefully we'll all be here and we won't be um, under the, the thumb though. of martial law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We laugh so we might not yeah, weep. Yeah, we, when it when we get stuck in Tuesday marching, you know shit's really hit the fan, so. Whew.